Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our level three courses. Wem and I tried to sit down and do some big swanky radio advert and it's just not us. So I'm just going to chat about it for a minute. So our level three training is the same price as some other courses out there where you just get five days and you are out the door, do your coursework on your own. Our course for the same price is 10 days of training. So for our May cohort, that's five days. And then we have a bit of a month off to just let that settle. We come back for a weekend, maybe do a bit of camping. Then we have a bit more time off and then we come back for another weekend. With the September group, we do five Mondays starting in September. Then we have a bit of a break. Then we come back in the new year and do another five. So we're really like focusing on building community as we go. We didn't really want to do that, like, conveyor belt thing. We could be doing, you know, a level three course every school holiday, banging them out, off you go. But we don't want to do that. We do Zoom calls throughout the year. We do loads of, like, cohort, you know, community building sessions and stuff to help people with what they're doing. And that means that we want to do it well rather than doing lots of it. So we're trying to help people do that. And we're also really big on this community aspect. And we found that people not only find the course easier to do in terms of workload but also easier to do emotionally when they do it with somebody they already know so to try and encourage that we're doing a train together kind of offer so if you and someone else you know sign up to do the course with us together we'll give you some money off your course because we found that it the uh, success rate is much higher people are much happier while they're doing the course and it makes our life easier as tutors because you know happy students, motivated students, we're all kind of getting on together. So if you want to be part of a community rather than just being put through a conveyor belt, then have a look at our website. It goes to myforestschooltraining.co.uk. That'll take you to the Children of Forest website and uh, you can go from there, get your application in and uh, join our communities. So on with the podcast. I'm Wem. And I'm Lewis. This is the Forest School Podcast. Let's go! Lovely job. Lovely, lovely. Oh, it's very relaxing recording <laughs> like, like this. We're in Wem's house. We've got a microphone each. We're sat. And sitting on sofas. Sitting on sofas. I'd be really interested to know if what the sound quality is like of this compared to other ones. What if this is the first? Because we're going to record a couple today. Yeah. What if people are like, you guys are really like, you didn't get excited about education. You didn't like shout and... It was a bit lame. It was a bit, a bit boring. <laughs> we're too chilled out now. Just too chilled out. We need the buzz of the... Lewis has literally got his feet on the coffee table. Sorry, should I take them off? Not at all. Is that right? It's completely fine. Okay. But it's just, yeah, a different vibe, isn't it? It's like perching on the edge of like a log seat in mm. the outside or being on Zoom. Yeah. With Because we've done quite a few on Zoom. What I do like about doing on Zoom is that I can just be in my spinny chair and be like spinning around. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so the first, so we're we're talking about you did a podcast with Richard Wall. Richard Wall. Richard is amazing. I met Richard at a conference and did a workshop with him, and I was like, uh, he apologised for it in the recording that we're going to play in a bit, but. Um, Basically, he goes off. And, he went off on so many tangents at the conference. I was like, "You are my kind of guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he kept going like, "Oh, this isn't relevant," but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yeah. Um, to the point where he sent us an email afterwards and said, 
I didn't really explain who I am and what I did. Like, he was so excited about yeah, the yeah. subject matter. So, so gonna... and this was the listeners who've listened to the podcast about um, that we did at the FSA conference. Yes. Um, and I was saying that I saw you in the distance just twirling a rope around yeah. and around in Wooden magical rope, yeah. patterns. So that was the workshop that you did with Richard. Yes. The Way of the Rope. So this podcast, um, so I couldn't be at the podcast recording, but I've listened to it mm-hmm. today. So I have like experienced it and I have some like comments and, and questions. Um, but yeah, tell me. So I'll read Richard's yeah. day. So he's yeah. like, across, you know, as uh, a lot of us do get afterwards go, oh, I didn't mention, it's a bit like doing that interview thing where you go, I didn't mention the thing yeah. for a job. But anyway, so Richard's. He says, Richard Wall, and then it's got all the, ne- all the letters after his name, Excellent. because he's done all this academia, is a lecturer in human movement, teaching on the sport, PE, and outdoors undergraduate course courses at the University of Central Lancashire, mm. having previously worked across the health, fitness, and education industry as a coach, trainer, advisor, and qualified primary school teacher. He has combined his work and academic experiences, developing an interest in the physicality of learning, from a scientific and philosophical perspective. This has led his current explorations of the concept of physical intelligence as a PhD project and people's experience experiences of physical intelligence through running. Mm. So that's Richard's... And that pretty, yeah. I think that gives a really good flavour of what the mood of this podcast is about because, like you say, it goes deep quite quick yeah. and it's really super juicy, but it's all, um, yeah, they're like... What was the phrase? Something like the uh, the physi- physical physicality of learning and the intelligence, physical intelligence. of physical yeah physical intelligence. All of yeah. this stuff is like ah oh, so juicy. When you read his job description, I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that. I, do I that want job. that job. I'm just going to add that to my list of like other life. Yeah, you know, yeah, amazing. And, and Richard sent us loads of like links that we can put in the show notes. So if you're mm. listening to this and you you know if you're like this is my jam, yeah, and the cat is clearly interested. The cat is very interested. Hey Luna. You always like to get involved, don't you? Yeah, and um, and yeah, the the conversation kind of meanders from things that are, yeah, the philosophy of physicality, but then um, some stuff that is more um. So in terms of relating it to forest school, there's some stuff about barefooting. There's some stuff about kind of the movement of the spine and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I think, um, yeah, and if regulating you're, movement. Yeah, and if you're even a tiny bit interested in movement outdoors, then I think there's some yeah. juicy springboards in here for you. Amazing, right? Yeah. We'll chat again at the end. Yeah. Bye. Bye. No, that's fine. It all sounds good. Uh, Right. Okay. So for the people that are just watching in, it's me and uh, Wem is hopefully joining us in a bit, but we're here with uh, Richard Walls for background richard you and i met at the conference yeah um this year uh and you were running well you were going to be running a different one <laughs> <laughs> <Do you> want- <laughs> yeah <laughs> i uh, i ended up doing a bit of a a rope flow way of the rope workshop the the move nap workshop that was intended um unfortunately just had to be postponed due to the the colleague from move i was going to do it with um was injured at the time so I'm not fully MoveNet qualified, so it wasn't right for me to to continue on and deliver it. Um, you know, maintaining brand image and what have you. So yeah, uh, yeah we, we just switched around and we had a good a good time flowing with the ropes. I think you said you were uh, dragon rolling it in the woods. I was. Yeah, I went not, straight not, back not, into the woods. I don't need to carry it on. 
Do you know what? A little bit. I think it's become a bit of a, it's gone into the, that is a very odd phrase to, I was going to say it's gone in the fiddle bank, but that sounds worse than I mean it to. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, it's another thing to be doing with lengths of rope. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, and and you, as well as sort of teaching those like practical skills, part of the uh, workshop was a bit about understanding movement and uh, the big word, but I'm going to butcher it, but biotensegrity. Biotensegrity, yeah. Yes. Smashed yeah. It. So, uh, for people that don't know that, would you be able to explain a bit about like what that is and maybe how that relates to like your background? Um, yeah, and sort of similar to the way it went with the workshop, I'll probably start there and end up in a million and one other different places. So just keep drawing me back Absolutely in. Absolutely part um, of the another, course, don't worry. Another another way of using the rope, get a lasso on it and pull me back in and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll come back in. So um, biotensegrity, essentially, it's um, there are two ways, to the best of my knowledge and those that I work with, there are two ways humans have worked out how to build and construct things, make solid freestanding structures. One is through the direct compressional um, gravitational load. So you stack one thing on top of another on top of another and provided the centre of mass force down the middle. Hey, presto, we should be okay. The other is a biotensegrity. Well, it's not a bio, it's a tensegral structure. The bio bit means in, in relation to the human body or, or a, any living body. Um, but the, the tensegrity way of building is a, a, a blend, a balance of tension and compression through which neither can exist on their own, but through the fine balance, you can create some really fascinating structures. So things like suspension bridges have a little bit of a a tensegral nature um, to them. And there there are various different um, things. If if you Google tensegrity, you can find some amazing uh, structures. I realised it made made sense to me. I uh, I don't know if anybody else has come across them. Uh, Those tables that seem to be all the rage now, they're yes. Like on, yeah, they're on, a tensegrity table. Yeah. yeah. So I was watching some of the videos you sent, and as so- and as soon as they showed some of these models, I went, "Oh, it's those tables that are like they look like they're floating, and I still don't understand how they, they are." And then they knock they, them, they, and they just bunk. Yeah, they do look like they're floating. I've got um, I don't know whether you actually share videos or yeah. not, but I can I can send you some links. This is a book called Everything Moves, and Susan, who wrote this book, is an absolute genius in the way. Um, that she describes movement and how this biotensegrity informs human movement. But she, th- there are some interesting links back to sort of forest school principles and, and wider education because some of the toys that used to be built in, I think it was some little German kindergartens, were based on tensegrity principles. And it was actually through seeing those that the originators of the the science of tensegrity, if you like, actually came up with the ideas um, and started developing it. So essentially applied to the human body, I'll go back there. Yeah. We tend to get taught that the skeletal structure is your framework and it's compressional Mm -hmm. loaded. And then the the muscles that surround it sort of connect across the different joints and pull on them like pulleys and levers to allow you to move. The problem being that the the general models that are used well actually what happens once you start to lie down or you start to move on an angle or you start to rotate some of those principles of biomechanics are a bit more questionable Mm. um so the biotensegrity would be that actually your bones are pushing out 
against the elastic fabric of your connective tissue in which your muscles are enveloped mm -hmm. and the balance between the the tension placed on the um the, those elastic muscles the, the the connective tissue by the compression of the of the, the bones that allows you to create or or maintain your structure and actually allows us to move and manipulate in three dimensions mm. it's Similar things you may have seen, I don't know if you, you frequent the gym or you've been into any fitness centres, you'll see foam rollers on the floor mm -hmm. and they'll start to talk about their or foam rollers, they're great for this myofascial release, self-myofascial release. And the myofascial relates to the, the connectedness, interconnectedness between all the muscles and the connective tissue that, that wraps around them and the sensitivity principles are something that we used to explain then how movement is a it's a whole body phenomenon. It's not mm. just one or two muscles working against an isolated joint. It it just doesn't operate like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we use that as the basic principles then. So if you understand that, a lot of yoga, Pilates are based on on similar um, principles. Didn't call it biotensegrity, but, you know, the, you can see the underpinnings of it in the, the ancient texts and the things that they talk about. But it just creates a different way of thinking about movement. Um rather yeah. than the, the isolated muscles are, muscles are king we need to isolate and build up and, and look for the aesthetic purposes there's yeah yeah lots of challenges around the way we view view the body well i think that's what was really interesting about some of the links you sent you sent a lot of stuff out to everybody that did the um workshop and i was going through those videos and um yeah like you say it was that i really i really enjoy finding those uh things that you're you've just taken for granted you know at some point that was taught to you and you just go oh yeah and it's only when you unpick it you go yeah and the exact they were so we're talking about that like stick man diagram of like an elbow yeah. going up and down this being a lever and then they went and then there's obviously nobody ever draws the wrist because the wrist is just a weird floating bag of bones and it doesn't what and i, yeah. I just, just ended up staring at my own wrist for ages going mm. but then so that made me then think that i was thinking about so um, I suspect it's a weirdly odd sort of diss, isn't it? I don't know if you go to the gym. I go to the gym multiple times a week, but it's, yeah. it's, always, <laughs> it's always slightly cutting. I, um, <laughs> I do loads, fine. I do loads of, um, uh, so I, I do quite a lot of like strongman events. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and loads of that involves what I've realized is like turning these tensegrity joints into the lever so it's like wrapping up mm -hmm. my wrists so that I can't move them and like putting knee sleeves on so that they're fully compressed and it's like it can go up and down and you know uh, like weight belts all around all this stuff and and I was kind of thinking about like oh yeah it, it, um, in some ways potentially looking at this the wrong way of going not what have I got and how does it move but going how can I make myself into the simplest machine possible and then work with that um yeah I, I almost said absolutely then but i have to find myself catching the language that we use sometimes so you said about the simplest machine and i, I i'm struggling with it. there's lots of concepts so for the phd that i i, I mentioned i'm i'm in exploring different concepts and actually once you really start digging and ask that question what what does that actually mean yeah. and i think part of our issue or the things that the way I'm looking at it and the way I'm exploring it, the fact that we tend to view ourselves as machines and we we link our knowledge and intelligence to sort of computer-based metaphors, I think it does a disservice to actually the 
amazing ability of our what is our, our biological living matrix it's it's far more complex than 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 any machine it's not simply just lots of parts assembled mm. it's 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 actually something that we've we've grown from you know this that if you go back into embryology how on earth do human bodies form i mean and and, and i i apply generally to to the human nature but clearly this links across to how how in the biological world does anything start to grow and form they're not things that are just pieced together so i have a, th a little there's there's a few things body mind mm -hmm. or the body and the mind are they can they ever be two different things or is that purely something we've created this try to abstract something to be able to understand it but have we yeah. gone maybe too far and now we're starting to struggle even the the word physical so the that's the one I'm working on at the moment um, and going down lots of real interesting rabbit holes. So what around. do you mean about that word, about what, the what, word physical? What, well, exactly. What, what, do, what does it mean? What does it mean? So I think the title of this podcast and what another one that triggered you um, or triggered you, made you think was, you know, what does it mean to be physically educated? Yeah. And, and that then, well, to really dig into that, you need to understand what we mean by physical then and mm. i think it's something it's a question i'm posing within the outdoors world and within the pe world because i think we have far too narrow a view of what we mean by physical and that we're tending to refer to it as physical activity mm -hmm. which people then tend to box off as well that's those things that involve using large muscle groups and it's just about actually keeping this machine, as people view it, um, working in and in good order. But there's, there's there's far more to it than that. I mean, that that narrows down even further in PE, oftentimes to fitness exercises or sports. Mm -hmm. And again, we know there's far more to being physical and being physically active than just those two areas. But you know, go back to your guitar playing. Well, that doesn't necessarily involve like well it depends how you look at it it can involve large muscle groups but it's very fine motor coordination so is that not being physical then mm. because it's it, it's only small things and what triggered so that's that's one of the big questions in my phd is what does it mean to be physically educated and i'm coming at it through a lens of physical intelligence um, okay. which i started out being an intelligent body so if we have this intelligent body, if you go into the somatic world and you people would talk about this innate kinesthetic intelligence, somatic intelligence, we're just this is innate intelligence in our body. So what does it mean to actually develop that then in, in a school area such as physical education? And well, is the intelligence just restricted to the body? Is it much wider than that? And then you can start to dig into all these different holes and problems um but i oh, came at it massive. because yeah physical literacy is the other big one and i think it's starting certainly certainly in the pe world in the uk in wales is really a, a big popular thing and i like its principle is we want to get people more physically active because mm -hmm. fortunately the way the modern world is set up we're too sedentary and it's causing a variety or is linked to a variety of health issues and both mental and physical health again <laughs> these artificial separations come in so there's lots of things trying to get people more physically active which is great but i want people to think more widely than that 
that actually what does it mean to be physical and physical literacy started off actually I'm going to dig into my computer and find this quote so there's a, a lady called Margaret Whitehead who did some amazing work on physical literacy but it's it's changed direction slightly but where she started is she was talking about what she wants from physical education is be, to be able to develop this the range of physical capacities that would enable individual persons to make the most of their embodied dimension enable them to interact with the world and to awaken the huge wealth of potential capacities help them to become richer persons both in themselves and in respect of that which they know about the world and then you just go wow that's so much more than what PE generally that that's almost to me a reflection that this is what learning to be in the world is about wider education yeah. education beyond the school feet the, the school boundaries um but we still tend to focus in PE on let's just get lots of kids just being running around and hopefully playing some sports yeah that kind of that speaks to something I've been it, it rings with something that I've been wrestling with myself for like the last year or so about why I I find something quite challenging about a lot of um like uh alternative education methods and styles and and I've been trying to like crystallize this thought and actually it's, I think that this kind of touched on it. one of the things that I find very frustrating is when there's something that is like uh holistically beneficial like being having physical literacy or having like social and emotional skills or having all these things and then I always feel like it gets undercut because the last bit always then becomes and then we see an improvement in reading writing maths and like yeah that thing of like yeah but having a a functional body that you understand is a benefit all on its own it doesn't just need to benefit these massive things you know having a body for the you're going to have a body the rest of your life you should you know like you say yeah. li literate is a really interesting word isn't it or, or are you a body rather than having a body but we'll we can go down that one in oh, a few minutes yeah i'd i'd heard just talking about that one i think it was in your the smart moves podcast mm -hmm. which is a fantastic book so that was it was great that you shared that one um yeah and i've i've fallen foul of the same things because again i've part of me if i'm doing this in an academic world for my phd i've got to justify what it is yeah of course and i'm very much painting those pictures of no, it's really, really important just to be able to, to essentially, if you are, you are your physical body, you are a physical body, a key part of education. And it, it's, it's not just confined to in schools, but a key part of learning. It's, it's about understanding then who you are as this whole physical being and how you can then operate and, and thrive in the world. And that's in itself is there's loads of ways it can go. But why do we always direct it back to, well, yeah, but it's about what's up here, really, isn't it? And about in the brain. And then that's the academic, the reading and the writing. Um, I, I wonder, I, I toy with this as, as part of what I've worked on. Is some of this related back to the you know, Descartes era, as they call it, with mm -hmm. the, the body mind split, but then going all the way back and going, well, actually, at that moment where the human, the hominid species started to stand upright on two feet, is that sort of the beginning of this artificial separation that we all battle with between us and nature? 
you know, we, we are nature. There is no separation, really. But we've we sort of create these blocks because we we stood upright on two feet. We lifted ourselves literally head over heels. So now what we really consider is what's the furthest thing away from the natural Well, this thing that's up here, our head and our mm. brain that's inside, because that's where a lot of people consider is the mind. And is that led to some of the challenging issues that we've got? Um, I don't know any answers to it. No, but, but they're big, they're uh, lovely questions. Um, I was I was wondering about um, so we're thinking about like that that thing of uh, you know we have these ideas and education looks at things in a certain way, and I was reflecting back on like how does learning happen in different scenarios and thinking about where there's mod for me a lot of physicality comes from like modeling and that and i was immediately going down that thing of like for me i really enjoy i run a fully belt around the woods with the kids i am climbing trees with them you know doing all that stuff and i really enjoy doing that modeling um but i was then thinking let me say if i've got all these preconceived ideas about how my joints work and that i my literacy looks a certain way i wonder what the benefits or maybe not benefits i wonder what the impact is of um so our forest school a lot of it works with like mixed age groups yeah. and the learning that can come from that modeling physically from like i, I was i guess the extreme other way would be a, a group of 30 three-year-olds that are in their most fluid you know they move in whatever way is comfortable they just naturally do these things and what modeling are they getting outside of that it's like them three-year-old bodies and you know me a 32 year old human with all the literacy that comes with me but whether you've explored anything to do with that like mixed age thing being able to learn fluidly from like oh okay we're not all three, but you know, the three-year-old can learn from the five-year-old, the five-year-old can see the three-year-old moving in certain ways and go back. I always find it interesting watching groups of learners go up and down, regardless of age, you know, ones that are almost teenagers going, well, I'm going to try crawling again and seeing yeah. what that does. It's uh yeah, it's a fascinating topic. It's, I mean, my, my three children are at three different ages, ranging from six to 15. So I've observed that in, in, in real life and actually the role modeling that goes on from myself, my wife and, and then the children with each other. And you see that rapid improvement in the younger ones because they're constantly trying to, oh, I want to do what the older one can do. You know, they're not verbalizing that, but that's mm. you can see that that's their intent and working through. Um, there is a guy who's done some fascinating work on that one. I'm just looking around because I have a stack of books all around and I'm trying to think where I've put this particular one. Uh, no, I just found my Smart Moves book. But... We can come back to it. We can stick it in the show. In It'll the be around notes. somewhere. But it's a guy called Peter Gray. Oh, yeah. Um, and have you come across Peter Gray? Yeah. Peter Gray's work on play um, is fascinating, but he talks quite a lot about that, about how um, within a lot of the um, extant... Uh, hunter-gatherer tribes that that's essentially how the individuals will learn it's by observing and role looking at their role models of adults mm -hmm. but then through mixed age play all the way through um, and, and they learn and help and support each other from a 
a science point of view have you come across the term mirror neurons mm-hmm. yeah but some okay. people won't have so go on what tell us about nope. mirror neurons so so mirror neurons would be a potential explanation for this where essentially within and again we say they're all in the brain because that's where we've looked and are there ways of storing and sharing this information throughout the rest of the body potentially um, there are various people who are doing some fascinating work. Uh, James Oshman's one on sort of energy medicine and looking at the memory within living tissue. Um, anyway, I digress. But a mirror neuron essentially would be so you have your sensory and motor neurons within the brains, those that are essentially responsible for sensing and taking in information from the external. And you have the motor neurons, the ones that are responsible for sending out the signals to create the movement pattern that you want. Um, a mirror neuron sort of sits almost in between and essentially it can recreate the motor pattern within your brain as if so if you're watching and sensing you're seeing somebody move your mirror neurons are recreating that pattern of you moving but without you actually doing the movement so it's replaying it in your head to work out oh so how is it that they're able to do that how how would that feel in my body? How might I then be able to go out and replicate and, and do that thing that I'm doing? Um, and it works on, you know, it's not just watching other, other humans. It's watching any other things, uh, living things moving. It doesn't even have to be a living thing moving. It's you see something and you can, can you relate yourself to that, that object um, and create that movement? So you can start to almost build the motor pattern before you're actually able to do that motor pattern. So we're, a younger child who's got an older sibling who's constantly running around and then maybe still just pulling themselves up to standing by watching and observing they're actually reinforcing some of the basic motor patterning to help as soon as get them to be able to move and run around like that far mm. quicker than someone who wouldn't have that um additional patterning yeah Definitely. We sometimes talk about mirror neurons. Um, we reference them quite a lot with storytelling because the same yes. thing is happening as we're telling the story. If you start shivering, people just start to feel cold. It's that same. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the yawning neuron. and the. Yeah. yeah. If I can just go back a minute, because you mentioned right at the start about linking it to the principles and about there being these toys that are, that were tensegral. Integrity toys, yeah. There you go. Tensegrity toys. Um, can you talk a bit more about those? So, have you? Are there examples that we would know, or are there? I'm just trying to find it here. Because I, I always think when we, again, like you're saying about you know people going down the PE route and it becoming sport and all these things, and I feel like there's always because for, for some reason because we're on the Ofsted register, we get sent all of the junk mail in the world. Because people assume we're just a school school, we get sent stuff. Have you got the right tables? Would you like these fire doors? It's a fucking words. Um, but one of the ones we also get is these ones that go, here's the new like balance toys or here's the new whatever. Uh, you know, the best one we got was uh, here's some plastic locks for stepping stones. And I really, I, you know, <laughs> really <laughs> hold myself back from phoning them up. But, um, it just makes me think of like if you're saying there are these sensegrity toys like where do they sit you know what's some great examples of like that's a gimmicky nothingy toy what's kind of going this is really promoting that physical um 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are some that allow you to help you to understand what the, the principles of tensegrity. Um, mine's wandered off. It's probably in my office at work. Um, little children's toys. The the bits I was referring to, the kindergarten play, uh, it's, it's Frederick Froebel's stuff. And it curated a series of gifts and occupations. These pre-made kits of developmentally graduated materials for free exploration and play are still used today. So I never really dug in and found out what they were. Okay. But the lots of little mini, you know, like I guess a cross between Meccano and Lego and, right. and just different shape, sizes, materials of things that you can play around with to try and work them and put them together. But there were ways of putting them together with different elastic bands and, and the different um, compressive struts elements to actually build tensegrity-based toys out of. That's quite um, interesting, isn't it? So I suppose one of the things that in some ways is harder to find, you know, very easy to, with natural materials, to construct, um, uh, I can't remember the way you phrased it now, you know, compression, you know, towers and doing like box lashing so that things are stacking and tightening and all those things and there's not that much in natural materials that is springy that is like an elastic band that you that you can't mm. you know rope making i'm trying to think now but that's quite an advanced thing for a lot of children to go you know let's make some nettle cordage in two months you'll be able to make a small toy with it um yeah so that's quite it's an interesting concept. Um, again, I, I'm very much, a, a, and I always probably will call myself a beginner in in most things. But I'm I'm still I, I love the the exploration and, and and trying to work out what's what's going on. So I I don't claim to be an expert in anything. Mm -hmm. But what I have done to try and understand biotensegrity is I've joined another. There's an online group of biotensegrity experts if you like the people that really founded this and had taken the discussions on to high levels so i will i will pose that question to them yeah. because it's the sort of thing that if no one knows an answer to that will just intrigue them even more anyway and go oh, that's right. the best group of people so we can't come up with an answer we, we will have to go out and explore it and find something and they'll, they'll come up with something because there's just lots of examples, you know, the fractal patterns and things are all based off um, print or linked to the principles of tensegrity as well. Um, but yeah, as an actual tensegrity type structure that you can create. From, from I wonder if I've shown my own bias here. So um, because I'm vegan, I haven't included, I didn't think of it, but animal, you know, remains exist, don't they? Well, so yeah, potentially you've got, you know, we're talking about learning about tendons and, you know, mm. lots of us learn from actual tendons. I have done that. I have done that, like, slightly macabre thing of finding a, a bird's foot with um, the tendons yeah. on the top tendons and you can yeah. pull it and make a puppet. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, not the most vegan thing I've ever done, but still very fun. Uh, yeah. There is an interesting thing about, again, this is part of what some of the challenges were or what people will suggest are some, what led us to think of the human body in the way we did, because, you know, it's quite difficult to cut up a real live living human and, and actually understand what's going on internally. So you have to work with, with dead bodies. 
Um, but actually, once you've got a dead body, not only does gravity work slightly differently because of the compression and tension mm -hmm. bands, but the, the individual tissues operate totally differently because you haven't got that, well, the energetic flow through, you haven't got this, the same levels of liquid uh, hydration going through. So, yeah, mm -hmm. be interesting though. If you come, you might, might be able to play with that. I don't know how long it would last. Not that time. long, but that the best toys don't last. The best yeah. toys are this here for a day or two, and then it's gone. Mm. Um, just to move away from the slightly macabre. Yeah, um, so when we were doing the workshop, one of the things that, that stayed with me was you were talking about, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but you were talking about the spine bit doing circles as we walk. Spinal engine. Spinal engine. Um, could you give me a brief, like a summary of what spinal engine is for people that weren't in the yeah. workshop? So again, I don't, I'm not a, a major fan of the word engine, but it 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 says what it is. Um, I mean, that's a, maybe another topic of discussion is you know how we live by movement based metaphors. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, spinal engine. So again, there are various um, theories around how we walk and move as as a mammalian species, essentially. Or you can go all the way back through um, reptilian and, and through fish as well. And the same principles apply because it's it's an evolutionary based theory. But essentially what the spinal engine theory is, is where most people consider walking as controlled falling. So mm -hmm. you, you lean forward and gravity is going to pull you forward unless you take a step to try and catch yourself. And then you continue to keep moving forward if you keep taking a step or you fall flat on your face. So there's this where does the movement come from is it gravity is it the legs but actually this guy called Serge Grakovetsky went back and he explored well is it something going on in the movement within the spine and his thoughts are very much around well actually yes it is movement originates in the spine similar to so where fish will move with that all, lateral all movement like everything all, humans do yeah. originates from a spine okay well, not not majority of the the larger gross movements. Okay, but will originate through the spine. There has to be a con or there doesn't have to be, but most of the time there's then a connection through the feet to the ground as well. So there's a little bit of ground reaction forces that are working with it. But the movements are, are generated and driven through the spine. Okay, and it operates on working through all three planes of movement. So it's the, the total antithesis to the let's do uh, planks for developing our core because mm -hmm. that's just trying to keep everything solid and rigid. It's that, no, what we need is a fluid moving spine, which is a little bit of a side bend and a rotation to the same side and then a little bit of the flexion. And it creates this little bit of a coil, which then allows you to come and spin and move back up through the other way. And if you watch it, big cats are probably some of the best to actually watch oh, yeah. Watch the movement of the big cat and how actually as it's prowling, you can see that it's the spine moving through and the arms and legs or the legs in the case of a big cat amplify the movement of the spine. So a little bit of movement in the spine gets amplified up through the rest of the body. So there's a slightly bigger movement through the appendages as you're moving through. And it's really efficient then to move as well, because actually you've just got those little, as long as you've got the fluidity through the body to actually allow these waves of movement to travel effectively, a tiny little movement within the spine, and that's all you have to really be controlling, that sets everything else going. Um, in fact, with 
the spinal engine, it actually can work on an infinity spiral as well. So once you've started to roll it, it is worked more through that connective tissue. You're doing for people listening. You're doing like a. It's like swag. It's like a very swaggery walk. Shoulders doing that, like that, a, that's one of the ways that you could see. It. Yeah, there's this swagger of sort of bending down to the side, rotating, and coming back round again. If if put some of those links on that I shared with you, I can send you a few more. If yeah. You, you can't find them um just to see people moving or to put that the, the big cat moving and again with the mirror neurons actually watching that in action go oh yeah yeah that that makes sense i can feel that i can see that how that would work it takes a little bit of practice because we're so used to again some of the things that we're told might be back in a classroom it might be another way sit still stand up straight tall erect nice solid posture and like oh we, we have to have this british stiff upper lip and <laughs> We hold there. No, it's the fluidity of the movement. The two are two of the real fascinating areas within the human body I'm interested in. Again, from an evolutionary basis, the spine and the foot. You mm -hmm. mentioned the wrist as a sort of this floating bag of bones. Well, the foot's essentially the same pattern of, of, of bones down there, but they're load bearing. Now, if evolution is this, you know, through nature's design, we develop the most efficient, effective structure systems possible then through the millennia we still have maintained a spine with 26 segments that should all move in three three directions and we've got two feet each of which have got 26 bones 33 joints now if they've got that and they've maintained that that's for a reason for me that's to allow them to move not massive amounts of movement but just enough movement to allow us to move more fluidly and more efficiently the problems come that both of those things our spine again it used to just be sit-ups was one of the main movements that we do which is only working one plane of movement it went went even worse and went into planks which is no movement and we're sitting up straight straight in our chair so we're going so we're not giving our spine what it needs to, to move fluently and efficiently so use it or lose it principle well is that why we potentially start to get back pain and different issues or we get pain in other joints because the back's now not moving so something else has to move to compensate the same down at the feet the feet are the 33 joints in each foot they should be moving fluently each time your foot lands and pushes off they're like little compression springs that they load and unload and they move, each little bone will move in three dimensions to properly load up the rest of that connective tissue up through the muscles, through the rest of the body. And if it's not allowed to move, not allowed to do its job again, something else has to compensate an ankle, a knee, a hip, the low back. We, we Modern living's great. We've got modern medicine. We've got lots of modern things that we probably couldn't do without. We wouldn't have this phone call without it. But there's also some things where we've probably misguidingly gone too far with things and we've not allowing ourselves to move as freely as we should do. You know, what does most people put on the feet? I was very impressed, though, body school conference, the number of people with the barefoot type shoes on. I didn't oh, realise that that, that, that that was going to be a thing. Vivo barefoot are uh, one of the key protagonists in that. There are others. Um, but it's great that people are doing it. But for most people, you know, the shoes are a, a torture device on the foot, a sensory deprivation chamber, a foot coffin, you could even call it, because you know, you try and ask the shoe to do what the foot should be doing itself. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you might think that, um, I, I would say, I 
where my vivo is like 80% of the time that I'm in the woods. Occasionally, our woods is like a, you know, 30 degree hill. So there's something about my ankles that I'm still building up the strength there to be able to spend with no ankle support a day on a hill. Um, But yeah, you would think that for a group of people that work in uneven, um, you know, ground full of uh, natural debris, that we wouldn't be the type, you know. But um, yeah, it does seem to be, I guess, because we're all a bit wonky and we've all got the, you know, love, we're connecting with nature and all these things. And they do sort of stem together. Yeah, you do need to have you know, shoes, the original purpose of the shoe was was a protective layer underneath the foot. Um, and you are going to step, unfortunately, on some things that you probably wouldn't want to step on without a shoe on. When have you, I don't know if you've come across this yet, but I've recently heard that some insurers have now started adding barefooting as a premium to their for a school insurance. So it's no longer inside that, like, you just happen to be in the woods and if the kids take their shoes off, some of them have started putting it on as a like mm. okay this is now a risky activity in the same way that treat it's very interesting i hadn't heard of that but i'm gonna have to look yeah. it up now because um it, i was talking to someone the other day we're, we're looking at developing different areas up at the university here and uh actually putting in a barefoot walks so deliberately setting aside areas for for different uh sensory um challenges mm. and walking on it barefoot and that was one of the concerns was around yeah, we've got to be quite careful here, haven't we, from a, a risk management and health and safety perspective. But I didn't realise that you yeah, are actually adding extra premiums. Into- well, it's just interesting that that then is going to, because there's something about, you know, policies inform views. So somebody new to this industry who's going to be setting stuff up and goes, oh, that's risky, is it? Oh, OK, well, either then, well, I can't, I don't want to pay that extra bit, so we won't do that. Or, oh, OK, you're telling me that it's a premium, so it must be risk dangerous must be dangerous so maybe we'll avoid doing that you know um it's interesting you were saying about you know this spinal engine and moving and that we're told you know sit straight and we're sort of um in a lot of ways restricted physically and um behaviorally um and one of the notes I was making when I was thinking about like what does it mean to be physically educated was thinking about well a what what can we do for learners who arrive at us at different ages but you know some a lot of forest school leaders work with adults or work with you know older teenagers who will have become in some ways um have come through a system let's say and will have habits or behaviors um and what ways can we be supporting in the right way in the right way supporting their physical literacy um as while we're out in the woods yeah um ideally but just being out well not ideally uh, because of being out in the woods it provides a lot more opportunities the affordances are there to to just take part in a, a wider variety of movements and it, it'd be one of the things um some sports uh football and rugby in particular have taken to using parkour as a donor sport i don't like the term donor okay. sport because that's got again it's a bit like what you're talking about but it's got a life of its own it doesn't just have to be a means to an end for something else um but things like that the the, the sort of the parkour the movement the, the rolling around on the ground but in a natural environment where you're not encountering 
standard flat sterile surfaces and 90 degree angles and vertical walls and things you you are having to adapt and move differently all the time because nothing in nature is a straight line mm -hmm. so just being out in in the woodland environment and oftentimes it's that permission so how many times you've probably seen it particularly someone who would come from a more habituated background to you mean it's okay if I go and climb in that tree or I go and balance on that log? Do I not have to ask or don't go crack on? But again, comes through role modeling. It comes from that little bit of developing the confidence, but just being in the natural environment and being able to move in all different weird and odd angles, which we're designed to do. Mm. It's, it's how we, it's how we develop, it's how we evolution. We, we, we came through was being able to have, locomote and navigate through these weird and wonderful environments but we, we don't get exposed to that because most surfaces we walk on flat soft carpeted we sit down we don't bend our knees any more than 90 degrees because we that's by the time our backsides hit the chair that, that's as far as we need to go so just keep allowing people to, to move around um some of the other things that i like to start to play with the back into again some of the animal patterns so just Okay, let's. You've read a story, or you want a bit of inspiration for some writing, or whatever it is you're going to do. Let's let's just pretend we're different animals, different creatures, and playing around. And how would they move? And once you start to get them going, you don't have to teach them anything. I'm not going to stand there and go. It's not like right. We're playing tennis, and this is your forehand, and this is exactly how you hold the racket, and you've got to take your backswing to here with your elbow here in relation to your shoulder here, and you've got to be looking there. No, just pretend you're a worm. On you go. What would a worm do? Just go, just go and find some worms and watch that worm. And can you be you the worm and start to move around and all the wiggles and rolls and things that that would allow you or um, encourage you to then do? That's going to feed in this stimulus for just developing, maintaining, getting that that movement back in. You know, there's all sorts of animal moves. I mean, you've probably seen. Similar things, um, you know, there, there's a, a group called Animal Flow um, and they have all the different named animal patterns. There's different arguments because different people call it the same thing by different names and whatever else. But being a monkey, being a frog, crawling around like a lizard, moving like a bear, rolling like a worm, an inchworm. I was watching the other day. Um, what are they? The only way I could describe them is they're like a crutches that go on your arms. And the first place I saw them was in the the stage show of the lion king you know when people walk around like this thing um and there's a guy he's a movement coach called terry notary who does a lot of stuff out in new zealand and he now has a fitness class on all fours so you know like thing of like when you bend down and your arms don't quite reach the floor so there's these like two foot um crutches on your arms and they run across like you know the desert wow. and run across the thing or in this like i guess it yeah it's that spinal engine yeah kind of thing it, it makes will me be think... you've just got that extra extension on the yeah. end of the arms yeah. it was it was very it made me think when you were saying about animal shapes and stuff i always feel like i as a leader learn so much about people just watching them move for a minute um and actually when i was teaching i used to get the kids you know every half term or whatever for no reason other than my own information to run from one side of the playground to the other yeah and that and i couldn't really 
pinpoint exactly what I was learning, but seeing people run makes me go, okay, there's something here. You need some support or that bit of you, you know, and the same with like, can you be a worm? You get a group yeah. of people being worms and you learn so much more than you would from just going, I don't know, can you do do these football drills or whatever else? You just go, oh, okay, when you move like a worm, your legs don't move. And that's really interesting. Like that's, um, I always think those sort of natural movements that you say about having permission, they're both um, sort of, not scary but like intimidating for some yep. learners um and at the same time hugely regulating any anybody i know that regulates through movement yep. they regulate through functional movement they don't regulate through like those levers and hinge yep. movements they regulate through rolling around in hammocks or through swinging or through you know all that stuff i just wondered if you'd come it's across spiral the spiral yeah. type patterns and the vibration would be some of the other elements to that as well. Um, spirals, that's again, the way that the body's structured, it goes back into to embryology. You know, we, we don't just unfold on 90 degree angles, things revolve and, and, and move around. Again, if you watch those nice slow motion, um, time-lapse, a time-lapse mm -hmm. of a seed, growing into whatever plant and you see how they they emerge out in these spiral forms that's how we emerge and, and grew out so everything's spiral in nature then none of these hinges that we talk about and levers in the body are, are straight lines mm -hmm. so it would make sense that people are looking to try and find that more natural type of movement to to help regulate somewhat yeah amazing um rich i could talk your ear off like yeah. all night it's genuinely you know um really engaging but i'm conscious of time and that you've got other stuff so um for people listening where where should they be looking next where can they find out more about what you're up to things like that um yeah that's an interesting one i have put a couple of bits out so i'm just over halfway through the phd um, I am going to start to build a website at some point. There's a few articles I've put out in the IOL's Horizons magazine. Mm -hmm. um, I've done something for the AFP magazine, which is the PE Matters, um, so the Association of PE. Um, I'm happy to share some of those with you and with the other people um, who might be listening and be interested. My Twitter and Instagram, which I don't overly use, but they're there, is Nature. So it's move, train, regen, nature, um, or, or just move, train, regen. Or you can look up my name, you'll, you'll find things there. And I post little bits on. Um, the, it's not so much about me in, in some of these things. That's why I've not built many things. If I was to direct people to anywhere, um, have a look at things, uh, have a look at biotensegrity. I can share mm -hmm. you some of that work. Have a look at animal flow. Have a look at move nat. Have a look at way of the rope. Um, these are all more, much more functional, um, natural movements that, that we should be doing and are brilliant for forest school environments. Um, and it doesn't take, there's minimal equipment required, if any, um, a piece of rope um, for where the rope, that would be the only one. And they work perfectly with whatever size groups and whatever age groups that, that people might be working with. Um, so, yeah, they, maybe I will get a little website and things developing at some point. 
Oh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have questions coming in after this. No, no, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's partly what I was thinking. So maybe I can open it out the other way and go, would it be useful? Because my idea was to develop my website would essentially be a little bit about me and my work and what I'm doing and why, but actually more as a signposting. So if you're interested, maybe oh, yeah. I've seen something, come and have a look and I'll, I'll put it into different categories and and, and, and share, share things there. So would there be a... A sort of a central repository, I guess, of of movement-based ideas for for forest school, for PE, for outdoor learning. Um, yeah, definitely. Working with different age groups. That's a, a bit of a plan at some point. Oh, amazing! Oh, yeah. Please do that. That would be amazing. <laughs> please do. Just for me personally, I don't care if yeah. anybody else goes on. I need. Yeah. That well, you, you you may be still working through all the rest of the stuff I sent yeah. you last time. It was. Oh, uh, no, it was great. It was amazing. Um. Right, I'm going to let you go because it's been great, but I'm conscious of time. Um, yeah. So no thank problem. you so much for chatting. And, uh, no problem. And I'll, uh, I'll I'll keep working my way back through your own podcast. I've enjoyed uh, listening to some of those. There's there's a lot of crossovers and things that you don't. And until I started digging down some of these paths, you don't realise actually where what where physical gets to. Yeah. Um, the physical basis of emotion and, and and that side. But maybe maybe that's another podcast another oh, day. Definitely. We'll, We'll, we'll hopefully catch up um, right. some more forest school stuff or, or whatever it is. But great. Thanks for the opportunity yeah. to chat. And uh, Brilliant. Thank you again soon. All right. Cheers, Cheers mate. Bye. Cheers to that. Cool. Yeah. It's big. It is big. And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed this podcast. And I, one of the thoughts that kind of popped out to me was the bit where he was saying about, oh, I think you asked a question about, um, supporting learners of any age who have uh, become accustomed to moving or not moving in certain ways and maybe becoming very static. And I just found that whole thing about like the cultural expectations of movement and posture and stuff really yeah. interesting. And um, and when he said, yeah, you get, or was it you, one of you said, you get those uh, learners who might go, oh, what? So you mean I'm allowed to go mm. and climb the tree, you know? And that might not just be from kind of cultural expectations or habit. It might be just levels of confidence and being in a weird mm-hmm. place with weird people. And you're like, I just, I'm going to wait for an adult yeah, to yeah. like, tell me what to do. Um, and that really chimed with me. And I really thought, because in forest school, we're so, you know, you're focusing on the positives, aren't you? And going, oh, it's just so great. Look at these kids. They're like running around. They're just free. And you're just like focusing on the wonderful movement that's happening. And if we shift our focus, because there will be learners for all of us who are working with any group who are less physically confident or less physically able Mm -hmm. and are more cautious for whatever reason. Um, And I was thinking about how to support those learners. And I was thinking about what Richard was saying about like animal movements. And I was thinking about all the games that we play, like doing like animal yoga or we're going to drum and dance around like loons. And then when the drum stops, we're all going to make this animal together. Like five of us are going to be in a group and we're going to make a spider. And then does the spider move and all that? Those silly games, right? Which are silly games in inverted commas. I hadn't really, I thought about all the benefits of those kind of games, but I hadn't necessarily thought about the physical benefits of those. And I was thinking more about like one of my takeaways from listening to this podcast was like, right, I really want to focus now for the next few sessions on, yes, Luna, um, (laughs) on, um, so you were talking about, this is really long-winded, sorry, I will get to a point eventually, I promise. You were talking about like modelling as an adult or somebody who has got more physical confidence, like, oh, you can move like this. Mm -hmm. And the mirror neuron stuff, oh my gosh, that was so cool. Um, 
And I was thinking about putting in place more of those, like games either at the beginning of a session or, you know, after lunch or whatever, that really scaffold moving in different ways. And I was like, right, I really want to make a list of like those things that might not appear to be, now we are doing movement. Mm. It's a game or it's a follow the leader type thing or um, things like that. And I was wondering whether you had had any thoughts about that or any kind of like light bulb moments go oh we're actually when we do that it's actually helping these learners or I want to do more of that or well I think one of the things I I remember we we used to do years ago and we do less and less of it now but perhaps you know this is how these things work you come back to an idea yeah and so we've got that little it's like an off-ground obstacle course yeah and we've just built another one this week but um, the sort of permanent one, we used to do a lot of, if somebody had done it, go, okay, one-handed. Mm. Okay, one leg. Mm. Okay, eyes shut. Like, yeah. I actually quite, Without touching the ground at all. Without touching or, the ground yeah. at all. I actually quite like not the games and things that we do where, and even we do this in war games and stuff, where, like, you're doing the same thing as normal, but you're giving yourself... You know, constraint. A constraint. The best mm. writing comes mm. out of like constraining words or whatever. Like mm. the best weather. I was going to say the best physical learning, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is like different physical learning. Yeah, because you um, explore your body, yeah. don't you? And we used to do that loads when I taught drama in terms of like group physical work. That if you said to some, if you said to a group like, "And now with your bodies, create a piece of physical theatre that expresses the idea of grief," yeah. they'd be like, "What the heckins?" But if you go, right, as a group, you have to move from point A to point B, but at any one time, only four points of contact can be on the ground or whatever. And then yeah. you've got a constraint and then you find, you explore different ways. And then you put some Hans Zimmer music in the background and mm. you've got this incredibly moving piece of physical <laughs> theatre about grief. And it's really, but you'd never come up with that way of moving if you... Yeah, when it's, when you, it's yeah. low demand, isn't it? It's yeah. low demand where you go... Or a challenge. It's like a stretch challenge. The, but if you go, there's too many choices here. Mm. So you've got low demand physicality. Low arousal. Low arousal, that's what I mean, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Low arousal physicality is like, okay, mm. here's the constraints. How do you do this thing? Mm. I think the difficulty is like when you put those constraints in, for some people going on one leg is super easy. Mm. For some people going on one leg is like, ooh. Yeah. So you almost need to like let that be self-directed in terms of going like, okay, you've got to take, take away one of your limbs. And then you can make a choice about which one that is. Or yes, yes. Can you do that? You've got to you make know? it accessible yeah, for so everybody. Because that's one of the difficult things about physical education in general, I think. When you think about like PE lessons, it's actually mm. like scaffolding that huge range of... Um, what's, not <laughs> what's the differentiation? Yeah. Is really challenging. But actually, if you can flip it on its head get that thing of like permission in and it not being competitive mm. then actually most people most learners find their own level of like this is what makes it fun and the right level of challenge for yeah. me so I'm going to keep doing it that way yes um, and way more inclusive right so if you've got any yeah. one who for any reason can't move in that way or you know whether that's permanent or temporary because yeah. that's the yeah. thing isn't it we always think about like like inclusivity as like somebody that's always going to be in a wheelchair, always mm. going to be a whatever. But actually, we need to also be thinking, like, somebody's, you know, as the kids will tell you, they've, like, touched their ankle. They're like, I've dislocated mm. my ankle, mm. Lewis, so I can't walk on my ankle. And then they're hopping on the wrong ankle for yeah. in five minutes. But, like, that thing of, like, being flexible mm. is super important, I think. Yeah. It does make me think of, there's a, um, 
as an old Bill Bailey bit mm. where he says he's talking to somebody who um, is Eastern European and their job is they're a professional dressage mm-hmm. coach but they can't find the English for it. Mm-hmm. And so he just goes, I make horses do unusual movements. <laughs> like, what do you do at Forest yeah. School? I make learners do unusual mm. movements. Yeah. And like, I was thinking about how, well, this podcast, I think, makes you realise and remember how important physicality is, especially for, well, I, don't know, I was going to say especially for children, but I don't know if that's true. But I was thinking about some learners that we work with who for you know for a school in their week is going to be the most physical they're ever going to be mm-hmm. and is that is really a rare opportunity for them to explore their bodies which is life-changing mm. you know yeah i think about learners who have recently like learned to go upside down and what they call the gymnastics bar where it's just a mm-hmm. you know it's a, a straight bar. it's a horizontal bar yeah box lashed onto two trees um and there's obviously the physical experience of being upside down for the first time off their own mm-hmm. bat and the self-esteem repercussions of that, that they've done it and it was hard and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just don't think, I think we are, you know, you can underestimate the physical side of forest score, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think the one thing I want to do going forwards is more physical pole bridging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. More of. Do you want to explain in case explaining what happen. I'm doing? Yeah. You know, talking out loud. Oh, I can see you're moving your thing. I reckon that. I run. I wonder if you can feel that in your legs or like. This is going to be tricky because it's really more, slidey. So I'm yes. going to turn my feet to the side and oh, I can't do it here. But if I pull my tummy muscles in, then I've, I'm going to try that. All that kind of. But what bridging. I want to do is expand my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Maybe vocabulary is the wrong word. Like the times that I do that. Away from just, oh, the hill's big today. Mm. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, my legs are achy. Oh, we need a drink. Into like, it's almost like that's all. I'm only talking about the negative side of physicality. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the physics, the, the yeah. positive sides of it as well and go, oh, yeah. I feel really good now because I've mm-hmm. used my body. Oh, I, I feel like this bit's mm-hmm. loosened up now. Oh, now we're mm-hmm. done. Like, I want to do that. That's yeah. my big takeaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah.